everybody. Welcome back to the Eastside Agent Podcast, sponsored by Cleveland Street Mortgage. This is your host, Chris Buto. And um, today's anecdote, I want to I start with actually a rental um, scenario and, and, and really kind of see how that cascades into all the other issues, purchase, um, inflation, mortgage rates, etc. Um, talked to one of my agents. He had a rental listing uh, right in the heart of the Microsoft um, campus area, you know, where the Microsofties love to live. It was about a 1700 square foot, kind of a family home with a, with a yard, um, you know, nice, nice house. You know, it wasn't anything spectacular. 1700 square foot listed it at $3,600 a month and very little interest and, and already has to reduce that. And really what that speaks to is that the, you know, rental inflation is, is cooling down significantly. We really had that pandemic spike where rents went way up. And, and they've been gradually coming down to kind of back to the pre-pandemic levels. And that matters for a lot of different things. You know, it works in, in buyers' favor um, because, you know, buyers who are buying for themselves, let's say primary residents primarily, or maybe even second homes, because you're competing against investors for those same homes. And investors are having a harder time right now making those deals cash flow. Rents are coming down from those pandemic highs. But the values haven't come down as much. And interest rates, of course, are up. And so just penciling out those rental deals are harder. So that means less um, competition for the people buying for themselves, for their own personal use. And so that's a good sign for people who are out there wanting to buy you know, either the first home or, or an additional home. Um, Inventory is still low, but you have less competition for those, you know, for those, for, for those individual houses. And one of the reasons for that is, is rental prices are coming down. Now, rental prices seem to have kind of come back to the pre-pandemic levels and kind of bottomed out there, kind of stopped there. They don't, they don't appear to be going down further at this point. They've kind of started to come back up a little bit again. And so I think we're just back to the normal rental market that we had before the pandemic. Um, now, how does this impact interest rates? Well, we all know that the Fed's stated goal with regard to um, their raising of interest rates, the federal funds rate is what they control, is to head off inflation. They're very concerned of, you know, kind of a 70s style runaway inflation. And they've been very aggressively hiking the Fed funds rate, of course, until this very last most recent meeting when they paused that. But shelter costs are a huge component of our household budgets and therefore a huge component of that inflation. And when we see these rental prices coming down and, and what's happening and, you know, inflation, typically we're looking at year over year type of stuff. And we look to month to month. I mean, obviously they slice and dice this, thing, this stuff in every way. But one of the ways they're going to look at this is year over year. And because now we're just kind of entering that phase now where we're starting to compare year over year with the highs of a previous year, we're going to see that shelter cost component of inflation drive down inflation just mathematically. That's what's going to happen. Um, and, and that's going to give the Fed a little bit more reason to pause or to cease um, raising interest rates. They haven't said they're going to do that right now. They're very explicit about this is a pause. It's not a reversal. It's not a stop. We're not starting to lower rates yet. Um, but I do think that that, that um, support for that move and, and maybe some pressure to do that is going to build as inflation goes down and down. Now, what the Fed doesn't say out loud very often or very loud is that they're also trying to cool the labor market because they're very concerned uh, of uh, about the inflationary pressures that an overheated labor market um, can bring. And so that is something to also keep an eye on. I, I, many analysts don't believe that the Fed will really pull away and then eventually start lowering 
interest rates again until the inflation, I mean, excuse me, till the labor component is cooled off. And that's going to show up in initial jobless claims, you know, initial unemployment claims. You know, when that number starts to get up into the, you know, low 300s on a weekly moving average, four week, four week moving average, then you can really start to see the Fed with, with, um, you know, all of the components they feel that they need to have in place for them to feel confident that, hey, we've gotten ahead of this inflation problem. It's not going to bite us now. And maybe we can start lowering rates there. Last week's pause didn't really have much of a dramatic impact on the market. I would say it had a mildly positive impact for in terms of lowering interest rates, but it wasn't really that dramatic. You know, it was really kind of a, a, a pretty much a straight line for the, you know, for the week. And it's, you know, maybe slightly downward this week, but really nothing really dramatic as you might, you know, have felt like after 10 consecutive increases in interest rates that, that when the Fed announces, Hey, we're going to pause. We're not going to increase this time. You know, maybe some people felt that might have more of an impact, but because of the Fed's comments, they were very explicit about, hey, we're not done. Um, I, I think it was just, you know, almost kind of a, a nullity, you know, in, in, in the end of the day. Um, talk about plays that worked um, for realtors. Talk to realtors about retargeting um, Facebook ads. You know, if you're if you're doing Facebook ads at all, you know, a lot of people... Uh, uh, you know, a lot of people don't do that, of course, but, but if you are doing that, or if you're beginning to think about doing that, you might think that, well, it's going to be really expensive and it's kind of scattershot. But one, one strategy that works really well is, is retargeting. And that's where you take those people and, and there's different ways of identifying them. You can take your specific database. You may have a database of leads. Maybe it's people that you've been working with in the last year that haven't bought yet and that you think maybe still be out there. You know, this is going to be a very small pool of people for most of us, right? We don't have thousands of these people that are in our database. Or maybe it's, uh, you know, if you're a mortgage guy like me, it'd be specific realtors you're targeting, you know, and, and you can specifically target them to see your ad over and over again. So you can run ads and target specific people to see them or a group of people to see them. Now there's lots of limitations and you got to understand kind of, you know, how that all works. You need some help typically doing those things, uh, but you can do that in such a way that it becomes very inexpensive per person to hit very high value targets with those Facebook ads. And so think about retargeting, you know, get, you know, get, get some help doing that. You can, of course, Google that, look up a little bit about that, but there's also plenty of resources out there. People that would be more than happy to help you kind of learn to do that. And uh, that can be a very effective way of, of building your social credit with those people that you're really trying to gain traction with and ultimately win their business. Um, uh, uh, more economic news, you know, maybe just generally, not necessarily directly related to interest rates, but the housing market. New construction starts were released last month or last week for the month, and they way outperformed expectations in the market by about 20%. And this was a big surprise, but really easy to explain in some ways by all of us Monday morning quarterbacks after the fact. You know, permits were up also, new permits, but not commensurately. And I think part of that's because, of course, you know, toward the end of last year, we had builders had permits, but a lot of them had to kind of put the pause on, you know, because the market was going down, right? And it looked like, you know, that could be, you know, have this kind of bottomless decline in pricing. We know that didn't happen, but for a time that was happening. Values were going down and, and builders put, you know, builders kind of slowed down their development of certain properties. Well, we saw that come back kind of big and strong in this past month. So we're going to see, you know, builders are really kind of trying to make hay right now. Inventory is very low. And so we're seeing them jump back into these um, projects that they have going. And uh, now there are still supply side issues, supply chain issues 
Um, and so they're still going to have you know, some challenges getting these things done, but they're very motivated to do so now, whereas they weren't necessarily so much. So maybe that might help the supply side a little bit. And then kind of finally, um, you know, my, my favorite part of this little podcast is, is just, you know, my favorite hobby is uh, just kind of wine. Um, I, I, I like, I, and, and I, and I don't want to come at this, um, like I'm a, a wine snob. I don't know much at all. I love learning about it. It's just a very interesting topic to me. And I like drinking wine and, uh, I like finding good wine, but I really don't know enough about it to, um, to even think of being a snob. However, um, what I fantasize about is growing grapes on, on a property that I have. And so I, I'm reading this book. Um, it's called From Vines to Wines. Now, this book was was a, a free book that was at one of the local tasting rooms. You know, it was kind of this little bookshelf that said free books, take one. And, you know, as you might expect from these kind of books, this was like 23 years old. Um, so it doesn't even have much about the Washington wine market, but it's still very interesting. And um, and I'm, I'm particularly interested in the farming side, you know, kind of. And, and so um, a couple of things I learned uh, you know, from this past week is, um, you know, weeds are actually good for grape growing during the part, during, during part of the growing season. They're not good all season long. So kind of in the early spring, you don't want to have weeds in your, in your vineyard, um, under your vines, you know, because you want all those nutrients to go into developing the vines and, you know, and the, and the, and the wood and the fruit and the leaves. Um, but in kind of late July, you want, you want to have a, a cover crop is, you know, kind of what the nice name is, but a lot of it was just weeds. You know, you can, you can have different types you know, be more or less intentional and more or less artistic. But really, you know, at the end of the day, you just want weeds in there to slow down the development of both the vine, of, of the grapes, essentially. You don't want them to ripen too soon. Um, and that promotes both the wood and the fruit growing. So you want to have that. And then um, a little bit of, uh, of wine growing terminology. Uh, you know, there, there, there are several terms related to people who are involved in wine production or grape growing. And so, you know, first, you know, you just have the vintner and that's just a wine merchant. You know, it can be applied to somebody kind of growing it, but really a vintner is a wine merchant, somebody really involved in the sale of wine. And then you have a vit viticulturist and that's someone who cultivates grapes, right? And of course, you know, wine is made from grapes, mostly all the good stuff is. Um, but, um, but that's grapes generally. So a viticulturist could someone who grows the stuff that you put on your peanut butter and jelly sandwich, um, also, but the French get really sophisticated they have a vigneron, that's V-I-G-N-E-R-O-N. And that's really a much more specific term. And that's someone who works in the vineyard, in the vineyard, vineyard, sounds like a barnyard, in the vineyard to produce wine. See, I'm not very sophisticated. I'm not a snob. Um, works in the vineyard to produce wine grapes. That's a vigneron. So anyway, there's your uh, there's your wine fantasy information for the day. Thanks so much, and uh, we'll see you next time.